The children may be excused. All right. How many of you enjoyed that worship this morning? That was amazing. And I, I also want to just say how I appreciate uh, uh, Kathy's prophetic word today. How many of you believe God wants to speak to us in places we would never expect him to speak, like the wilderness? In fact, the wilderness is a very powerful place because, as she was saying, usually it's a place, many times it can be our lowest point. It can be a point or in a place in our life where God, it's, the wilderness actually in the Hebrew means the place of testing. And it's in the place where we're being stretched and tested that God will begin to speak to us. Uh, it's usually not when we're doing well, but it's because sometimes we, we become a little arrogant or confident, but it's in that time where we are at a low point where God begins to get our attention and he wants to speak to us. And I, I pray that we will not harden our hearts, but we will be receptive because I really felt that was a word from the Lord because I believe God speaks to us every day. He really does. He, he wants to convey. How many here have kids? How do you tell your kids you love them every day? You try to hug them. You know, as they grow up, they don't hug you back, but you hug them and, you know, you want to hug them and, Dad, I got more important things to do than give you a hug. So they're off and running, but you're trying to hug them and they're out the door. But do you know our Heavenly Father's that way? He's trying to give us a hug. He's trying to tell us some encouraging words, but he's gone. they're already gone. But our Heavenly Father wants to speak to us. Amen? Um, I want you to take in your Bibles this morning to uh, John's Gospel, Chapter 4. John's Gospel, Chapter 4. I've been, I'm starting a series on the Kingdom Culture Initiative. And how many of you believe God wants us to make an impact in our culture? Wow, I think, we, I think he wants us to be salt and light in the earth, amen? Now let me tell you what a culture is. Our culture ha- is made up of our beliefs. It's what our culture tends to believe. It's, there's trends in our culture. There's media. There is the environment of movies and Hollywood and, and the political realm, the education. All of these are voices in our culture that impact the way we think. How many of you know that we are influenced by the way we think? Uh, Today, Facebook has an impact. How many of you know Facebook has had an impact on the way we think? Let me give you one, one, one illustration. Today, Facebook has a huge impact in the way we communicate. In fact, not Christian, but secular Psychiatrists and psychologists are very concerned about how families and relationships are now communicating because we now communicate more through texting and multimedia than face-to-face. Do you know that? That's how culture has impacted us. I was so blown away. My wife and I went to a Cheddar's restaurant a couple of weeks ago and we were sitting at a table, but next to us, all four people in this family was texting each other. And I heard the father say, I sent you a text. Well, Dad, I replied. Instead of, what's wrong with just talking? And the father said, I sent you a text. Well, Dad, I replied to you. And now, I don't know, maybe it was super hypersensitive and they didn't want us to know about it but this is how our culture has affected us how many of you know we're living in the age of tolerance there we're living in a in a politically 
correct age in the media and how influence and education is affecting even the church where now things that used to be a conviction or even in the church referred to as an absolute truth. How many of you believe that the Word of God is absolute truth? This is truth. But in our culture today, actually 50% of church-going teenagers do not believe in the inerrancy or the authority of Scripture anymore. Now, I don't blame them for that. I don't blame young people for not believing in the Bible. I'll tell you why. If we don't demonstrate the reality and the life of Jesus in our homes, they will not embrace absolute truth. Let me say that again. If I don't demonstrate love in my marriage, how can I ever preach love? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because if love is not caught and demonstrated, it will never be taught. So I have to demonstrate the love of God in order for me to teach the love of God. There was a man in our neighborhood, my wife and I years ago, and my, my boys may remember this, but there was an old man a big man in our backyard, and we used to call him Santa Claus. He literally reminded us of Santa Claus. He had a big, big white beard. He had a, well, he was, he was a big guy. And when he, he had uh, Harley Davidsons, and he had these uh, uh, Honda Gold Wings, he had about four of them in his garage on the corner of our street in our backyard. And his Harleys and his gold wings, literally, I used to call them uh, Christmas trees. Because this guy would deck out, I mean, he spent some serious money on these gold wings and Harley Davidson's. But he put these lights, he had these lights on the skirting of his bike around his fairing and around his wheel wells. And I mean, he was a driving Christmas tree. And, I mean, he had lights that came out underneath the fenders on the f- ground. And when he would drive down the road, we'd say, there goes Santa Claus. And, and he actually had a trailer. It was a small little trailer, two foot by. And this thing would open up, and you could sleep in it. And him and his wife, they would go out on these major uh, bike rides. He was part of a biking club as well. In fact, my very first street motorcycle was an 1100 Honda Sabre. And when he found out that I had an 1100 Honda Sabre, uh, just a, it was just a simple twin engine 1100 motorcycle, he had to come over and see me. And uh, now the interesting thing about this guy, he knew that we were pastors. And he knew that we were Christians, but he wanted nothing to do with me until I got my motorcycle. And when I got my motorcycle, all of a sudden, radar went up. I got to say, I got to say, I got to say. And I mean, he comes over and says, I, so I got this beautiful Illusion Blue 1100 Sabre Honda in your back. I said, yeah, I, I just went out and bought this thing. I used to ride motorcycles. He says, you did? said, yeah, all of a sudden, a conversation was birthed, and a relationship was formed. Up until then, he wanted nothing to do with me. Now, I had not, 
I had not really had any interaction with this guy. I mean, he knew we were, actually, he asked me one time, he says, you know, I don't understand anything about you Christian people. Why would you take a day off on a weekend and go to church? Why would you do such a thing? I mean, he, he, and by the way, he was a really friendly guy. Actually, he had more bugs in his beard than I think he had in those windshields. But the guy, I mean, he, he, he really had an interesting uh, beard there. But uh, he, he always wore these big, huge coveralls. But, you know, he kind of slobbered on his beard. He's just a big guy. But he was a sweet guy. Really nice guy, sweet guy. But he's kind of different. And uh, I remember just sharing, him with, sharing with him a little bit about the love of God. And he said, no, th- thank you, but no thanks. Th- thanks, but no thanks. I, I don't, I'm doing just fine without God. I'm doing great. I just, all I need is my gold ring and my, and my Harley, man. That's all I need, my Harley. You know, and uh, so I, I did my best to reach out to that guy. And I went out and I bought this 1100 saber, not to win him. I got it for my own selfish reasons. I wanted, because uh, I used to ride bikes and 400 acres of property. My brother and I used to mountain bike and all that. But so I got this 1100 saber. Anyway, he comes over and we start talking. And you would not believe what this guy wants to do. He wants to dress my bike out with lights now. He, he wants to, hey, hey, what do you think if uh, we uh, put some lights around your fairings? And uh, said, uh, I, nah, I, 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 I like it kind of simple. Nah, I think, I, man, maybe you could really look good in this saber. Man, we could really deck this thing out. And he, he is really working on me to get me to just, and he wants to come over and help me. And uh, now I, I said, thanks. And I didn't want to spend the money on it. Anyway, by the way, bike accessories are through the roof. But he actually offered to buy some of them for me, for my bike. Now, I got thinking, you know, if he puts anything into this bike, guess what? He's probably going to think he owns part of the bike now. So I I didn't go for that one either. But, But I knew that he was really interested. And I just kept pushing him off. I said, no, thanks. I doing fine. I love my bike. And we actually went out riding, riding together just, I think, one or two times. We went, uh, now this guy was a true long distance bike rider. I mean, this guy had calluses on his behind. He could ride for 10 hours straight and not stop. I mean, the guy was phenomenal. But he, he just, in his culture and the groups and the people he hung around was kind of a rough, tough group. And, uh, and they were not, in his particular circle of friends, by the way, not all bikers are that way. There's a lot of great Christian biking groups. But this particular individual was not a believer. He, he wondered why we would spend a Sunday going to some church building. And as I begin to investigate, I come to find out one of the reasons this man had a problem with going to church is because there were people in his past who had criticized and then put him down and really let him know that he really wasn't a good man because of the way he was, the way he dressed and certain things of that nature. So Christianity in the early years of his life turned him off. Um, I was able to witness to him and I said to him, I said, do you know that God really, really loves you, cares about you? 
And he loves you just right where you're at. And I don't know what kind of people who talked to you and said you had to shave your beard and change your clothes and you can't ride bikes. They said those things are so incidental and those things are not important. What the most important thing that God has is, is interested is your heart. How many of you believe God's interested in our heart? And if we would focus on the heart instead of all the outside external incidentals, I think we could reach more people. Don't you think so? And this man, unfortunately, a few years later, I found out, my wife and I noticed that his house seemed to just be vacant. No one was coming and going. And we found out that him and his wife got into a motorcycle accident outside of Amarillo. And a mobile home actually kind of squished them between a guardrail. And they went into an accident. His wife passed away. Uh, He lived through the accident. But later, a blood clot because of the accident went either into his brain or his heart. And he died. I don't know if the man was a believer or not. But we... And I'm, I'm praying that someone reached him. But we used to call him Santa Claus. But he was in a culture where he had a lot of walls. We live in a culture like that today. A lot of people have a lot of walls. How many have ever met, met people with walls around them? Well, if we're going to reach our culture in our society, I'm going to just say this, a preface. We're going to reach our culture in our society. How many of you believe Jesus needs to reach us first? I'm not going to reach outside the walls of my house if I first can't reach my own wife. I'm not going to reach my society if I can't reach my own kids. The church is not going to reach its culture unless it can first reach inside the walls of the church. We're not going to reach the nations until we reach our own nation. Amen? And so God has placed us and we may not even realize this. I, I know there's a lot of people who say, I want to go to the nations around the world and touch the nations for God. Well, my question is, how are you doing at home? How are you doing in your own backyard? How are you doing with a guy called Santa Claus? How are you doing there? Because if, if I can't reach him, what business am I doing trying to reach other people? How many of you believe that just... Jesus was, in fact, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1. He says, tarry until you be a dude with power. And then he says, in Jerusalem first. Jerusalem, then Samaria, then Judea, then the uttermost parts of the world. There was an actual progression there when Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem. In other words, if you can't make an impact in your Jerusalem, don't even go to Judea. And if you can't make it in Judea, don't even go to Samaria. And if you can't make Samaria, don't even go to the uttermost parts of the world. That that is a very critical thing. So my question is, how am I doing as a believer? How am I affecting the culture around me? Or is the culture affecting me? How many of you believe we're to be salt and light in our world? Now, what's in our culture? I don't think we have to think too hard. Right now, there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of uh, div- divisiveness. There, the church and our culture is divided. We've got a lot of judgmental. We've got a lot of people throwing a lot, a lot of gossip and slander around. It's popular to gossip and slander today. It's popular to tear people apart. It's popular to do that. 
We would rather send a text or an email than go face to face with somebody. We have a serious problem in our culture with simple communication. And I hate to say it, part of the problem's in the church. If we can't communicate here, what are we doing out there? Amen. You hearing what I'm saying? Because when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and he says he comes to bring the, the power of his kingdom, and I want to just take you, and I've got 16 minutes to finish. Does God work miracles or not? Well, John chapter 4, verse 3. I want to just take a few verses opening this up by way of introduction this morning because I wanted to share that story with you. It says that Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now, this is the story about the Samaritan woman. But he needed to go through Samaria. Everyone say, I need to go through Samaria. Now, that's, that's a message right there. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, I wish I would have thought about putting a map up here because Judea was the southern part of Israel. By the way, we need to lay a foundation that going clear back to the days of Solomon, God brought judgment or allowed the ju Israel to be judged because of the idolatry of Solomon. So the Bible says that Israel was divided between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom, the capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem, but the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. So these guys were brothers, but the nation was divided in the same country because of its idolatry and God allowed Samaria to, or Ephraim to be the northern capital of the northern kingdom which ultimately became Samaria or the Samaritans. But the southern kingdom was Judea and the southern, the capital was Jerusalem. As you go down through antiquity, as you go down through the centuries of history of time, these kingdoms begin to separate, especially when you come into 726 B.C., when Babylon began to invade Israel. And at that time, when Babylon began to invade, the kingdom still remained divided, even though he, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar brought them all together. But the nation was still divided, even in Babylon, then Persia. And here's the reason why. Because the Jews begin to worship God differently than the Samaritan or their northern brothers, which were called the Samaritans. As you go into the book of Hosea, you will find that Hosea spells out that the reason why God began to judge Israel and Samaria is because they had given themselves over to Baal Peor and Baal worship, and they begin to intermingle and intermix with the gods of pagans where Judea, the southern realm, kept themselves from that pagan worship. As a result, when you get into the time of Jesus now, 
there was tremendous division and divide because of convictions and because of values and belief systems. Samaria had intermarried and intermingled with the belief systems of the countries and the culture around them where the Jews under the southern kingdom kept themselves, but still naive, they kept themselves from the worship of these different pagan deities. The result of that became where the Jews in the southern kingdom begin to become very arrogant. And they begin to experience this sense of superiority over the Samaritans. There was a huge animosity and a divide between the Samaritans and the Jews, even though by, by virtue of centuries of history, they were still brothers, but they were divided really important you understand this because when we get into this passage when Jesus said I need to go through Samaria it is important for you to know that any Jew living in this time would say Jesus you are nuts why would you want to go through Samaria these people are hostile they're very very vindictive they hate our guts and we don't necessarily like them either And so let's avoid them. Actually, if Jews in Judea wanted to go north to Capernaum or Galilee, if they wanted to go north, you know what they would do? They would actually take the long way home. They would go to the Jordan River, head east, they would head north, then they would cross over at the sea, southern part of the Sea of Galilee, cross over, and then they would come home. All to avoid the Samaritans. That's what they would do. But Jesus here says, I need to take and go through Samaria. Any Jew would say, Jesus, you're nuts. We're going to get rocks. We're going to get possibly some abuse. We're going to get people throwing stones at us. We're going to go through some really difficult times if you go through Samaria. That is not a good choice. How many of you know God will often take you into the storm to get the storm out of you. He will take you through the thing that you fear the most so that you can see what's inside of you so it can get out of you. Jesus did not avoid the storm. But here's the thing. If you're in the kingdom, if, you're truly, if the kingdom is truly inside of you, guess what? You are not living in fear because of the Samaritans. I'm not afraid of the Samaritans. Jesus takes him and his disciples, and when they come into the city called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, I think it's interesting, Jesus being wearied of his journey, and then it says, there was a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus opens the conversation, and he says, can you give me something to drink. He opens the conversation by validating this woman, by expressing a sense of value in her, and what he gets back in return was something I'm sure he was ready for, but this is what she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, can ask anything from me, a Samaritan, a woman for Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans? What's he talking about? What's she talking about? She's talking about the superiority 
the pride and the arrogance that the Jewish people had towards Samaritans because the Jews felt that they were a defiled people. Now, you know, all you have to do today is turn on the news. And if you can turn on the news and what you see on the news makes you upset and you begin to take sides, guess what? We don't have the Spirit of Christ in us. Let me say it again. If you can turn on the news and it makes you upset and you begin to take sides, we do not have the Spirit of Christ in us. What it should do is birth compassion for those people. I'm going to say something here that not to be politically, uh, but I want to say this. Black lives matters. Black lives does matter. I know that's a hot button for Christians. <laughs> Wait a minute. All, all lives matter, Pastor Right? Yeah, all lives matter. How many here, if, every, if anybody ever had cancer, Pastor Ray, would you pray for me? I have some cancer. What if somebody says, well, wait a minute. I have diabetes. I have diabetes. Well, I know you may have diabetes, but I got cancer. Yeah, but diabetes matters. I got a cold. What about me? I got a cold. See, my point is, how do you react when our culture begins to th- say things, because how many of you know the devil wants to do to get you to react instead of act? What happens, act in a way, here's the key. When the kingdom is inside of me, I don't react. When the kingdom is inside of me, I have dominion over my feelings and emotions, and I am in control. I am not threatened by what other people say. But if I'm threatened, that means I want to manipulate and dominate and take control. Are you following me this morning? Sure, white lives matter. Sure, Asian lives matter. Red lives matter. Black lives, blue lives, everybody matters. But how do you react when things are said create a reaction? Jesus goes into hotbed of culture that begins to draw the anger out of his own disciples. Not to intimidate, not to say, oh, oh, I, I, I saw that bad attitude. I knew it was in you, Matthew and Peter. You got some bad attitude. That's not what Jesus did. What Jesus is trying to do is demonstrate you don't have to let the actions and the culture and the spirit of this world affect you because greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. And if he is greater on the inside, guess what? When I begin to come through my culture, they're not going to get a reaction. But what's going to happen? I want you to jump. i got four and a half minutes, and I'm going to finish. Jump with me. I want to jump to the end of this story real quick, and I'm going to go finish this next Sunday. I want you to see something in chapter 4, verse 27. I love the. How many of you like the end of the story rather than the middle? I'm going to jump right to the end of the story real quick. I'm going to show you this is revival. Remember, the Samaritans are hurt. They're bitter. They're angry at the Jews. And the Jews are angry and burnt at the Samaritans. 
Notice what happens. At this point, verse 27, Jesus ends his discussion. We're going to come back next week and talk about the discussion that the woman had with Jesus and what happened. By the way, I think it's interesting. I think it's really funny that Jesus actually sent his disciples into town to buy bread. I believe he wanted them away from her and him so they, so she would not see his, their faces. Because these guys were going to give him big Jewish reaction. And so Jew, Jesus says, guys, why don't you go into town and buy some bread? We need some bread. Why don't you just kind of get lost? Go into Samaria. Because he's going to be dealing with this woman who, by the way, is the key that turns the entire city to Christ. But notice what is at this point, the disciples came and marveled. They're coming back with bread. And they notice he's talking with a woman. No one said, what are you seeking? Why are you talking with her? And notice verse 20, I love this. And the woman left her water pot. Let me tell you something. When you begin to touch your society, they're going to begin to forget. And they're not even gonna, it's not even going to be important to them why they actually came and do what they do. This woman forgot her water pots. She forgot the reason why she came to the well because she was so transformed by the love and the compassion and the, and the, and the, the kingdom power of Jesus that she actually forgot the reason why she came there in the first place. Wouldn't it be amazing where people actually forget their lifestyle because they've been so transformed by what they see in you? They don't even know. You know what? I don't even need to go to the bars and drink and smoke and do all that stuff anymore. I, I forgot why I even do that. Man, you guys have so transformed my life. That's, she is so energized. She runs back to her own city, verse 28. And she said to the men, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came and they went out to, of the city. Then they came to meet him. I'm going to jump down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me that all that I ever did. By the way, it was more than just this woman saying that this man just gave me a prophetic word. It was much more than that. What it had to do with this woman, as she opened up her life and as Jesus actually saw what was in her heart, he validated her. He was saying, I know what you're going through. I see it, but I still love you and have a powerful vision and mission for your life. That's what she was really saying. And the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay. Look, look, look at this. These Samaritans who hated Jews, who'd been despised by the Jews, runs into this Jew and they actually say, could you stay in our city a few more days? We're not going to come against you with clubs and rocks. We like you. You're a different duck. I don't know what you're about, but who, are you really a Jew? Yeah, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew, and I'm here reaching out to you. And so all of a sudden, they urge him to stay, and he stayed there two more days. In verse 41, and many more believed. This right here, folks, is revival. Many more Samaritans believed because of his own word, we're going to talk about what his word was. And they said to him, woman, or they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ. And here's the key, the Savior of the world. 
He's coming to heal. He's coming to save. He's coming to bless us. He's not coming to intimidate. He's not coming to harm. He's coming to be a strength. He's not afraid of us. He's not intimidated by us, and we're not intimidated by him. Jesus came with the kind of gospel that destroyed the walls of division. That destroyed the cultural walls, the belief system, the value system that kept them separated. Now, I want to tell you how to get there next week. So you've got to come back. Praise God. How many believe we need to get there? But to get there means we've got to go through Samaria. Let's all say this. I am going through Samaria. Samaria is not a safe place, but it's a place of revelation. It's a place of demonstration. It's a place of transformation. God doesn't waste trips and he doesn't waste anything for you to go through. If you're going through something right now, you need to say, well, Lord, you've got, you got a reason why I'm going through this. Because right now, I do not feel the Holy Ghost and the love of God. There's no love on me right now. Okay? But see, here's the thing. You're never going to change Samaria, Judea, and the other most parts until you deal with stuff at home. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you're a good God. Lord, you're a good Father. You care about us. Your plan and purpose, Lord, is to transform our lives and to take us from glory to glory. Lord, you, will, you love us so much in such a way that you will not leave us where we're at. And Lord, even as you brought those disciples through Samaria. It was to reveal the heart of the Father. It was to reveal how great your compassion was towards people that we would actually write off. People we would not, we would even abstain from. Lord, I pray right now that you would just baptize us with the Holy Spirit and the fire. Lord, our own walls would come down. Lord, you would just restore the broken heart. Heal, Lord, those that need to be healed. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? With everybody, just even with your head bowed, maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, there are some areas in my life I know the Lord's working on me. And uh, I've kind of run like Jonah. I've just kind of run away from his word, his promise. Maybe you've been like in a wilderness like Sister Kathy said this morning. You've been in a, in a place that's it's difficult, it's hard. And the Lord is saying right now that if you will run to me, I will run to you. If you draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. God is, God is willing to reach out to you this morning. He doesn't want you to stay another day in your wilderness. He wants to bring you into the promises of God wants to bring you into your promised land. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God. 
Maybe that's you this morning. You just say, Pastor, pray for me. I could use prayer. Just raise your hand. Put your hand down. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, let's all stand. I'm going to pray for this one individual. Father, we just thank you that, Lord, you come to fill our cups. You come, Lord. come boldly this morning. We ask you, Lord, to empower us with a fresh vision of what we can be and what we can do because greater is he who is within us than he that's in the world. Let us not, renew, let us not rely on our own source of strength and wisdom, but on your strength in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you down here. Minister, other than that, Be blessed. Have a great day.